Welcome, everybody. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, if you're here for the first time, my name is Brad, and uh, I'm the lead pastor, preaching pastor here at Crosspoint. Really glad that you're here. And if you haven't noticed, we really um, don't put a whole lot of premium on, you know, kind of acting religious. We just want you to come in. In a minute, I'm going to break open the Bible, which we hold very dear here. It's central to everything that we do. I'm going to preach a message out of it, and then we're going to respond. And we see worship as primarily a response, not a warm-up. That's why we spend uh, more time at the end of the service worshiping. And so we hope that you feel welcome and comfortable and um, not too wet. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 4. We've got a lot of work to do today. And while you're opening it, um, we are on the DL again at the Evangelista house. My baby Abraham, our youngest of four, is sick with a fever. And be thankful that my wife is in charge of whether or not children come to church or not because she's a baby doctor, pediatrician, and I would have been like, you know, buckle up, let's go, man. I mean, and he would have infected every other kid in the nursery. But if his fever or his temperature is even just a fraction high, she shuts it down and says, no, we can't expose him to any kids. So um, she's the responsible parent in the house. If you haven't noticed, I probably wouldn't have even known he was sick. But um, anyway, poor Abraham. Um, Hey, uh, we have been, as Reynolds mentioned, we've been in a series of messages called The Church, and we're in our third uh, series, third message in that series. And um, today we're going to be working through a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, which is one of those real classic passages on the church. Now, here's what I know. I know that um, this particular series of messages is not one of those ones that is um, immediately personal, personally applicable. And there's not a lot of stuff that we're talking about over these weeks that are, are going to like help you on Tuesday, you know. And so it's kind of more of an overarching message. But I think it's really important for our health as a body that is growing that we that we see what we're doing here together as a body collectively as part of this overarching plan of God in the Bible. And so. Um, again, today's not going to be one of those, yes! And in fact, next week, I'm going to preach on um, this concept of eldership or church leadership and a little bit about church governance and structure. And, um, and that's going to be an exciting message, I can tell you that right now. But it's so necessary. It's kind of like eating your vegetables, you know, as a body. We've got to do it. Otherwise, we, we, you know, Twix bars taste better than broccoli. I realize that. But Twix bars... Um, don't sustain you for the long haul. You got to throw in some uh, vegetables and some red meat. And um, so anyway, that's uh, hopefully what we're going to be in. Uh, that's uh, hopefully you sense that. So um, Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be. And we're going to start in verse 11. And as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Reynolds referred to it, this this idea of, of defining the church, it's, it's really, really hard to define the church. Like there are some things that you think are easy to define, but they're not. And I, and I offered this illustration a couple weeks ago, but for um, the four of us that were here on snow day, you remember, um, a lot of you didn't hear it. But, but a couple weeks ago, this kind of really hit home to me how difficult it is to define the church. When I went to a Mexican food restaurant with Reynolds and Will, and we went to um, uh, the Vallarta restaurant in front of the point right there on Veterans Parkway. Now, I grew up in northern Mexico, also known as Southern California, and so I grew up on Mexican food, and they said, hey, what's good here? And I said, well, you should get the chimichangas. And they said, they said, I mean, honestly, like in unison, they looked up and they said, what's a chimichanga? And I was like, seriously, there are people in this world that don't know what a chimichanga is? 
And they're like looking at me like, yeah, dude, what's a chimichanga? And I'm like, well, a chimichanga is, it's, it's a Mexican kind of like burrito thing with, with either chicken or meat in it. You can put a lot of different stuff on it depending on kind of where you are in Mexico. But, but that's a chimichanga. And Hawkster says, well, what's the difference between that and a burrito? I'm like, oh, that's, that's actually a good question. Because actually, well, but see, the deal is, is that a chimichanga is, the tortilla is deep fried and you, you put the meat in the middle. So it's kind of different from a burrito, which is just a tortilla. But then I started to think, well, that's kind of also like what a flauta is, because a flauta is a tortilla with some meat in it, which is kind of like a taquito, which is a tortilla with some meat in it. But see, a taquito usually has a corn tortilla rather than a flour tortilla, which is kind of like an enchilada, which is a tortilla with meat in the middle of it. But the difference between an enchilada and a flauta and a taquito and a burrito and a chimichanga is, is that you put an enchilada and you bake it in the oven and usually put sauce on it, which is a little bit kind of like a tostada, but it usually lays flat, which which is kind of like a chalupa, which is also sort of a tortilla which has meat in it. And I started thinking, you know, I know what a chimichanga is, but chimichangas are a little bit harder to define than might ordinarily meet the eye. And it's kind of like that with a, with a church. Like, what's a church? Well, we instantly, well, it's a group of people that meet in a building, kind of gather on Sundays traditionally. But, but no, that's not really just what a church is. A church is a group of people who are striving to live after the scriptures, who gather together for regular preaching and teaching of the Bible, not of like self-help techniques. And then they do two things very specifically. They practice these two things we call ordinances, which is sort of a religious word that means that Jesus told the church to do these two things. We call them ordinances. Sometimes we call them sacraments. And they are water baptism, which we're going to do in a couple weeks. If you haven't been water baptized, that's incredibly important. And then also this other thing that Jesus told the church to do, which was the Lord's Supper, which is communion, where we remember his work on the cross. And so we do those two things regularly here. And so the, the three things that kind of make a church are preaching the word, people that gather under leadership that's qualified to preach the word and commit themselves to it, and then water baptism and communion. And it can take on a million different varieties within those contexts. And we're not a reaction to anything. And Garrett mentioned it. We're, the church is just a beautiful mess. Like it is so imperfect. Like there are things even about this church that I just, I just like, really, we do that? And, and I don't have anybody else to blame but me because I've, I've been the only churches, pastor this church has ever had. And so, you know, churches are messes. Like there's no perfect church. And we talked about that. And then last week we answered those three questions. This week, here's the, here's the thing I want kind of rattling around in the back of our brains is, is how do churches, and this is really important, how do churches do this thing called like discipleship? Like how do we grow together as Christians? And so we're going to work through this passage, and then uh, I want that question sort of rattling around in our, in our brains and in our hearts, and then we're going to make kind of five points about it, and um, then we'll respond to the Lord. So let's do this. Let's pray and um, get into Ephesians 4. God, thank you so much uh, for just the, the sweet presence of your life and, and your your spirit here today, that we can gather, that we can pray for people in our tribe that are, are going through things, that we can be real, that we can not feel the pressure to act religious or, uh, or in some way pose, but that we can gather and just say, God, we need you desperately. We are people that are on varying points of our journey with you, and we need you desperately. And the way that you have most prominently Reveal yourself to us is through your word. And so I pray if there's nothing else going on at Crosspoint, that we would just be growing in our love and our desire and our thirst for 
of the Bible. I pray this, this would be true of us. And, and God, I pray for all of the other churches in our area that are, are, are struggling to do this well, to preach out of the Scriptures, to live according to the Scriptures. I'm thinking of my, my dear friend Keith Cowart and his great church, Christ Community. I pray for them today. And I pray a blessing on that church. I pray for the Baptist churches, the Methodist churches, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, the Catholics. I pray for my friend Marlon Scott, who pastors Emmanuel Christian Church. I pray for all of the churches in the African-American community, all of us that, that name the name of Christ, that are brothers and sisters. I pray today that you would profoundly work in our hearts and that you would make church in the Deep South, in the Columbus, Georgia area, not just a hobby or not just a product to be consumed, but it would, but that you would do a great work in the churches and in the lives of the people that make up the churches in our area so that we would, that we would care desperately about your mission, not about cultural Christianity, but about being people that shine your glory to a religious but lost city. And so help us consider how we might do that better today as we grow together as a body as we work through this passage. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul writes, we're, we're parachuting down into Ephesians chapter 4, and um, the whole letter of Ephesians is a beautiful picture of the church. He talks in the first couple of chapters about how you become a Christian from God's perspective, and then he transitions into what now the church is supposed to look like, and we're going to parachute down into Ephesians 4 and verse 11 and uh, work our way through it. And this is, this is what the Apostle Paul writes, and it says, and he, and he's speaking about Jesus, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip saints for the work of ministry. So let me just pause there. I'm going to make a couple points along the way and then make five points in the end. And then we'll be done with the message portion and respond. What Paul is saying here is that he's saying that that Christ has instituted this church called the body. And he's given the church, these gifts, and the gifts are these certain people that do these certain things, apostles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and that they come and they help train and equip and help lead the group of people called the church so that, and I know this is like so elementary, you guys are like, you know, you're going to, you, if you're a dude here and you brought a girl and you're trying to impress, you're like, I know this one. He didn't, this is so elementary, baby, I know this. And you're, you know, you're like, you're a little way to impress the girl spiritually, like you prayed for dinner last night and you're like, maybe I got her now, yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, I know this. I, I know this is so elementary and I know I'm condescending to even tell you this, but like, we got to go over this, like, like the deal is, is and, and this is like not our default position, I think we have to admit that, is that, is that Paul is saying that Christ gave these, these gifts to the church, which are these, these offices, these people, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, so that they would not do stuff, like do the ministry, but that they would equip like all of us, the people that make up the body, so that we can do the ministry. And everybody's like, oh, no, yeah, I got that. No, no, of course, of course, I know that. But there is, I mean, let's just, let's just confession time. Can, is this a safe zone? Can we just be honest here? Um, we have set up like an ecclesiastical structure in America where like the preacher, pastor, staff, they're like the monkeys at the circus. And like we walk by at the carnival and throw uh, like a quarter, like dance, monkey, dance, you know? And, and, and like, that's just... That's just kind of the way we are. Isn't that what we do? I mean, and, and I, I understand. I mean, like, it, I mean, I think, I know things would go south 
If I just came here one Sunday and said, you know, look, I don't have anything prepared. Anybody got anything? Anybody got a word on their heart? I mean, it, some of you would love that. You're like, yeah, you grab the mic and go crazy. And I mean, but so, so there's, there's like this balance, like, you know, the, the leaders, pastors, teachers have this responsibility to produce like stuff out of the word of God so that, that you can consume it. But, but like, here's the deal about like American Christianity, like that's not like Christianity. Like, you know, that, that's like, that would be like saying that, that, that the walkthrough practice, I know everything kind of revolves back to college football. I realize that in my world, but that would be like saying like the practice walkthrough on Thursday where the coach is like saying, okay, this is kind of how it goes. And, and when we see this defense, we want to run this play. That would be like, that would be like, that's the deal rather than the actual game. Like, like, there's this weird Jedi mind trick in American Christianity, like, like what we're doing here is Christianity. I mean, <laughs> it's not. Okay, I just, I just kind of need to tell you that. So it's like, my job is not to just, like, feed you and, and so we can just keep coming back and see what we do is we've kind of created a cult of personality in American church life to where, like, the people that are kind of best at producing goods to be consumed are the ones that kind of Grow, and, and, and that's good. I mean, they're gifted, but yet we don't like also then take it and say, okay, now this is kind of how we do it. And let me just say, we're going to get to this at the end. We're, we're terrible at, at the church at large. And, and even here, we've got to get much better at kind of turning that on and saying, okay, now how do we as a body do, do, um, do church together and do the work of ministry together? Okay. If I take that long on every verse, we're going to be here till seven o'clock tonight. All right. I won't do that. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, like all of us. Like, like in every church, there's people in varying levels of, of kind of where they are. And there's some people who are like really pressing in, like wanting to do it. And there's other folks that are just kind of on the, the edge. And I just want to encourage you, if you're like one of those folks that's kind of just sort of barely in, just sort of sticking your toes in the water, like, like all of us need to, you know, where, wherever we are, kind of lean forward so that we're all attaining to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Just listen to the profoundness. I don't even I don't think that's a word, but you know what I'm saying? The profoundness of this statement. Like like that what we're doing here is not just to come sort of come to church and hear a good, helpful lesson, but we're we're on this greater trajectory where we're all growing to attain not just to life help but to grow so that we are more mature so that a man is a better husband so that a wife is a better wife and so that that we're better parents and and we're we're just we're we're better reflectors of God's glory it's not like we're just people who are on a moral trajectory to live a better life so that we can have more more like happiness. Yeah, that's part of it, but there's something greater than that, that we're growing into this image of Christ. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. Think about this verse. I'm just consumed with this verse. Don't flip there, but just read it sometime. Write it down if you're taking notes. Romans 8, I think it's 29 or 30. There's this scripture that is mind-blowing. It says that He has predestined you to be transformed to the image of his son so that means if you're a christian god has predestined you and i know there are a lot of people out there that don't like that word but it's in the bible so we got to talk about it he has predestined you 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so like, so like, I think we all have to ask ourselves this question, like, are we on that trajectory? Are, like, are we like, there's something bigger going on here than like Sunday in the South. There's this amazingly beautiful, difficult, tough, hard, roll up your sleeves, get dirt under your fingernails, progression where we're all growing together in this beautiful thing called discipleship. And, um, and, and do we see it that way? Do we see it that way? Do we see it that way? So let's keep going. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. If you have kids, I mean, you know like how easily kids can be totally shipwrecked. I mean, we, I've got this one child who shall remain nameless, but he's seven and he's a boy and he's our second child. Um, and he's a great little guy, but man, like just like when it doesn't go his way, it's just uh, he has no way to gradually get stressed out. It is like zero to 60. I mean, it's just something happens wrong and he's just picking up a bat, just bam, just hitting people like it's probably easy. Jake, whoa. I mean, just so, so volatile, so, so easily shaken. And, and, and that's kind of the way, you know, we are when we're, we're, we're not where we should be in Christ. And, and what this says is that as it were carried away by, by these weak or false or, or misleading doctrines. And here's this deal that you've just got to know if you're here. It's so important is, is doctrine is very, 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 very important here. Um, there's like a movement, especially in new churches like us, where we're like, ah, let's just get together and, you know, have some good music and everybody hug each other and coffee and good atmosphere. And look, atmosphere is important. Music is important. Vibe is important. But nothing, look, I need you to know this. Like nothing, nothing is, is more important to the, to the growing, the healthy growing of a church than, than good, good doctrine. Like we must understand what we believe and it must be central to our lives. Let me give you an, an illustration of how doctrine is really, really important. This is not my illustration. In fact, I was with Will and Reynolds at a conference when I heard this. But um, just imagine, uh, like if I went home today and Jennifer's not here and, you know, when I open the door, she will say, um, she'll say, well, how did church go? And just imagine, like, on the way out of here, I'm driving in my car. And, and I, I love my girl, man. I'll just be honest with you. We've been through a lot. It's been 14 years and we've got four kids and life has not been easy. And, 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 uh, uh, of course I'm physically attracted to her, but I'm also like growing an emotional attraction to her. And I'm just I, like, I'm just driving in the car and Joseph and Jacob are in the back running their smack. And I'm like, boys, just be quiet because I'm thinking about your mom because I am going to go in the door and I just can't wait to see her. Like there's something about her. There's just this deal. There's this aura. There's this way about her that I just, I, I need her. I want to be around her. Like I, I, need, I just I draw strength from her. I love her so much, and, and just like I open the door, and I, I'm, I can't wait to see her. And then she's sitting on the couch, and she's got Abraham and, and asleep, and Bella in her room playing. And I will quickly tell the boys go upstairs and do something, and lock yourself in the door because I, I need some mama time. And then and she's sitting on the couch, and like I I kneel down right in front of her, and I say, oh baby, like I I mean it is just not the same without you. And I missed you today at church, and on the way home, I've just been thinking about you, and I'm so glad that you're here. And I, I just want you to know that on the drive home from River Road, I was just, I was thinking about, you, like, your black hair and the way, like, 
like the way sometimes when I see you outside and the sun shines and it hits your black hair and it's just so beautiful and it just, it's glistening. And then like your green eyes, they just, it just is majestic the way. And, 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 and see, it, it, at that point, if you know my wife, you know that it would begin to go badly for me. <laughs> you see, because my wife doesn't have black hair or green eyes. She has red hair and brown eyes, right? And so, like, it's important that I know, like, her characteristics to be able to express love to her. That's why, like, knowing the Jesus and the God of the Bible is so important because there are bazillions of Christians who are anemic and don't really know that that God doesn't have black hair or like this. He's, no, he's, he's, he's this way. And so, like, they're, they're worshiping, like, their own little creation of God. And you learn that from good doctrine and preachers and teachers who insist that we open up the Bible and read it. The mistake churches make is that they, like they major on stuff that should be minor and they minor on stuff that should be major. And we're very clear here that we have a two-handed view of theology. There are things that we hold in a closed fist that we will not budge on that all historic, faithful Christians from the beginning of Acts until now, agree upon. And then there are things that are um, up for discussion that I may have a very strong conviction about, but I realize that they are issues that believing and faithful Christians can agree to disagree on. And so we major on the close-fisted issues, and we, we show each other charity and grace in the open-handed issues, and we're building a church on the close-fisted issues, not on the open-handed issues. Does that make sense? And so doctrine is incredibly, incredibly important. Okay, let's keep going. So like a church that is growing, like if you're going to be discipled, like you've got to be at a place where like the Bible is just absolutely the deal, man, the deal. And like sometimes churches like major on the spirit of God and the spirit of God. Like we believe totally in the Trinity. We believe in the gifts of the spirit, the power of the spirit. But a church that talks all about the spirit and doesn't like, like, like just, doesn't just major on the Bible opens himself up for air. Because they, they get kind of goofy because they're not tethered to the, the truth of the scriptures. And, and correspondingly, a church that just says, we're Bible people, but then is like dry and crotchety and just, just like, like mad all the time. They, they need a little bit of the life of the spirit. But you've got to realize that the, the word is preeminent and primary. And when you correctly teach the word, it breathes life that the spirit brings. All right. Uh, that's good stuff. I don't know how else to say it. Okay. Okay, so that we made... That was sort of self-congratulatory. I'm sorry. I scratched that from the record. I just needed a little feedback from you guys, but I'm not getting any. So that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning. That word cunning in the original language is like a roll of the dice, like dice playing, just like when life seems random. Like, how did, what, what? You just seem like you're the victim of circumstance. I know that's the feeling that a lot of us are in right now, that teaching good doctrine helps guard us from that mentality that we feel we're victim to that um, randomness of life. By craftiness and deceitful schemes, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Like, this is so important to be an honest, like, engaging community where we're just really honest with each other about each other's sin and about each other's shortcomings and we, we have grace towards each other. I'm terrible at this. Like, um, it, there's something about being in leadership 
and speaking in front of people that there's an inherent amount of insecurity in that because you're constantly kind of wondering like how you're doing and you know it's <laughs> just let's just be honest you know i mean pastors are they we can be a weak lot sometimes and um and like you're constantly you're kind of measuring like and so so one thing that i just need to get better at is like handling criticism and and so this is a two-way street because, you know, I, we talk a lot about authenticity and, you know, like, hey, where are you, brother? You know, going after people. But you know what Jesus says in Matthew 7? I think it's the first couple verses, 2, 3, 4, 5 in there. He says, hey, you know, if somebody's like pointing out the, the, the if you're pointing out the speck in your brother's eye, remember that you got a log in your eye. So, you know, kind of be cautious and humble. Like when people talk to me, like even just anybody, they'll say something like, hey, Brad, you know. I mean, what are you thinking? And as, like, before they're even finishing this sentence, like, before they're getting down, I'm like, oh, well, somebody's pointing out the speck in my Well, let me tell you something, brother. As soon as you finish the sentence, I'm about to tell you about the, the log in your eye. Where'd you get that 84 lumber? What was that, half price? I mean, how did that work out? Like, that's just the way. I mean, ah, oh, like, what is that about us? And here's the other trap I fall into is that I will see a log in somebody else's eye, like, realistically, but, but like, I'll have a speck in my eye, and I'm sort of guilty or shameful about that, and I let, I let my little issue, which produces this amazing lack of confidence in me, keep me from doing this verse, which says, speak the truth in love, because at that moment, my little insufficiency, my little lack of completeness in Christ, my little immaturity just shipwrecks me from being able to talk to some other brother. And in that moment, I am prizing my development and my little problem greater. Because if we all didn't talk to each other or confront one another until we were all perfectly able to do that, we could never talk. We couldn't talk. We just, nobody could say anything. Because if we were like, all just, oh, you, oh, you're going to say something. What if we just all just operated in this humility and grace, just this repentive attitude towards one another. And when somebody that is particularly sandpaperish in their way points something out to us, we just say, God, just help me with that. I mean, I know I could talk about the 14 logs in their eye, but I'm just going to let this sort of hit me. And I think that a community, a church that is doing discipleship well, does this well. They speak the truth in love. They speak the truth in love. And quite frankly, one of the reasons I think we don't do it in church culture is because our goal subconsciously is to get a bunch of people to come. And if we start like talking to each other honestly, people will get offended and leave. And God forbid that people leave because we want lots of people. All right. Anyway, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. That was, by the way, that was sarcastic. That's like not what the purpose of the church is. You got that? Okay. All right, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, like everybody's sort of in the game, and people are, are leaning forward in the foxhole, like doing stuff and seeing how they might be part of it. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, let me let me let me go over very briefly um, five essentials for a culture of discipleship. And before I roll these out, and then we'll be done, let me just admit that um, we are not good at this here yet. 
We were just not. We're to, I, like, I hate it when churches like, act like they've got all these things in place and um, they're just not there yet. Look, we are very much in progress and process in this. And, and this, is, this is in large part a, a prayer request sermon and a plea to say this is where we are. Now come with us and help us with this. And I, these are just five essentials. There are many others. But five essentials for a culture of discipleship and growth in a church. And, and number one is, and we talked about it earlier, so I won't expand on it too much, an absolute unflinching commitment to the word of truth, the Bible. Like, that is central. Like, if you, if you don't stick at Crosspoint and you go somewhere else and they, 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 you can just tell that the Bible is not the deal, like the deal is like some other thing, then, then just, just go somewhere else. I find a church where the Bible is absolutely unflinchingly the central deal. Like, they're just, they care about the truth. And, and Jesus says in John 8, 31, 32, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so, so an absolute unflinching commitment to the word of truth, the Bible. Uh, secondly, and this is, boy, this is, boy, this is, this is huge, is strategic pathways for growth and service. And this is a two-way street here. These essentials are things that the church corporate has to work on together and the church individual has to work on together is that we, you know, we, we got to carve like pathways through the forest so that people can grow. And that's why, by the way, that's why I know some of you love the schoolhouse, this place. And I know some of you like love, you know, seeing the kids play. You love the, the enchanted little environment that we have here. But like you realize, and this is not an excuse, but, but this is on some level a hindrance of our ability to do discipleship because we need a place where we can where we can have like group meetings and classes and teaching and children's ministry on a more permanent basis. I mean, so so part of our deal is, is we've got to create pathways so that we can do this better so that people can gather, so that people can learn, so that people can can do things together and 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 in maybe six months or a year or something when we find some other place and it's not as like warm and fuzzy as this place, we got to remember that this place is not our mission. Like, we, our, our whole deal is creating a group of people that grow so that they together in their, their, their progressive mess will glorify Christ. Not the hour and a half that we gather on a Sunday. And so, so that's just one little component that we got to struggle to create strategic pathways. And, and this is another thing where we sometimes default to our, like our church mentality. Like, well, brother, if you, you know, if you would just get this program, everything will be solved. I mean, maybe, but maybe we need to do it a little bit differently. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking you if you're part of this gig to, to pray with us that we would be strategic in like, Creating pathways of growth, discipleship, avenues, programs. I, I hate that word, but you know what I'm talking about. Just ways to help people grow. And we've got to do that, and that's a team effort. It's not like, well, when Brad and Reynolds figure it out, then we'll click in. I mean, come on, pray, like, pray with us. Like, this is a, a community gig here. Okay, third, just a, like a commitment, a commitment to connection and relationships. Um... I just watch people sometimes, and I just notice the different types of personalities that seem to like connect well here. They're new. Like there's this couple. I'm not gonna mention any names, but they're newer here. They've been here for just a couple months, and like I, they just sort of came in and just started like meeting people. Like, hey, how are you? What's your name? Hey, and then they just kind of got involved, and 
And they've only been here for a couple months, but like already I can't imagine Crosspoint without them. And, and they, they didn't come in with this sort of like, like you can see people walking in the door, they're like, I've had a bad church experience in the past. Maybe this will be another one, you know. And then they, then they just kind of, they stealth it in and they stealth it out, you know, like ninjas, man. They're just sitting there like, and they, they just, and they just like, I know, like, I'm not putting it all, like, because correspondingly, then I see people that have been here for a long time and, and there's just like this sort of complacency sort of grabs a hold of them. They're like, oh yeah, this is kind of what I do and I'm going to get there early, shove a donut down my face and talk to my boys. Like, yeah. And then it's just like there's this lack of intentionality and aggressiveness to see back to verse 12 where it says that this is our ministry. And we just, we just kind of let things go. And then inevitably one of those people will say to me or Renner, like, hey, what about so-and-so? I haven't seen him in a while. What have you done about that? They didn't connect. What? I'm like, <laughs> help us, cat. Help us. I mean, you know what I mean? Hey, what about so-and-so? And like, I try not to get defensive in those moments because I'm like, uh, but see, <laughs> you know, but we created this deal. Dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> Haven't we? And so what if we like, like, what if we just, like, I think, like, the responsibilities on the people that are at the church to just have this, sort of this passion, and, like, believe me, folks, I know, like, I know, like, people that are, I know that it can be emotionally taxing to connect with people, and then, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, these people are strange. Like, come on, like, let's just get outside, if you're from Crosspoint, get outside of your little deal, and just help us be like a connecting environment. Get trained for a life point group. I get trained to be a life point group leader. We need 15 more of those things. I mean, just, just do it. Like, like maybe, like, 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 there's this deal. Okay. All right, I'm about to say something that's going to step on some toes, but I'm just going to roll it out there because that's what I do. All right. There is this culture in Columbus where, like, everybody goes, like, has been a Christian for more than 10 years, goes to 7 billion community Bible studies. <laughs> it's about to go south for me. I want you to know. And we go to, like, like, they go to this Bible study and this Bible study and this Bible study that was out of this church that grew to this thing and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's going to all these Bible studies, sipping on their coffee, doing their thing. But nobody's like part of one church that's like on a mission to rescue the lost. Because all the Christians are going to Bible studies. I mean... And I don't want to contradict everything I've been saying for the past four years because the Bible and studying the Bible is everything. It's so important. But if it does not then produce itself into effectiveness for the kingdom, it is, like it says in the Old Testament, the people of Israel becoming fat on the ram and on the goats. They're eating for themselves. And so, like I'm not saying quit all your Bible studies. I'm just saying... Like, see your growth as beyond yourself so that you can be part of something. Like, you can say, maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can teach a group of people at Crosspoint. And I'm not saying, look, I know what you're saying. Like, see, I knew he was just all about Crosspoint. And that's all he cares about. Well, I'm the pastor of this place. And I, like, yeah. <laughs> but having said that, I care deeply about Christ's community. But there's a dude who's 
who's the pastor of that church and, and he should rock it out and give his whole deal there and I want to see Christ community grow on mission because they're going to reach a certain group of people because of their way that we won't reach and so we're going to do so when we run off and do Bible studies with all these different people we're like all these cool little Christians that gather together and we do Bible studies for a living I know I'm going to get some emails on that so if um, my email address is uh, brad at inside and that's spelled R-E-Y-N-O-L-D I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Okay, let's keep going. Like, so, like, like, commit. Like, come on, man. Come on. Like, can we commit to like doing life together? Like, can I selfishly ask you to like consider if Crosspoint is your home to like make it like your primary deal? Not because what we're doing is more important than any other church, but because. Every individual church, and I think there needs to be hundreds of them in our area, that do it well and like commit to it. Can I, I mean, can I plead with you about that? And then fourth is, and we're, we're in quickly here, is, is repentance. And I know these are three things wrapped in one point, but like a culture of just repentance and humility and servanthood. Like just, we're constantly just, we're not proud, arrogant people who think we have a better way of doing it. We, we are not the way, we are a way. And just, we're just a culture of just repentance, and we're humble, and we, we just look for opportunities to serve one another. I think that's incredibly important. And then, then fifth, um, this last point, and then, then we'll pray, and the guys will come back and lead us. And this is kind of where um, I'm going to encourage you and exhort you. That we would just have this church-wide passion for discipleship. Like this, not, not just me and Reynolds and Will and a couple of leaders, but just a a grassroots passion for just being a real place where people just care deeply about one another and growing in Christ. Now, okay, let me read this. Read this. Check this out. In Ephesians 4, where we were. Ephesians 4, remember, we read 11 through 16. And then Paul, he's talking about kind of what it should look like. And then he zeroes in on the individual, and he says this in verse 17. He says, Ephesians 4, verse 17. So you go, now all of this, we've got to grow together. Discipleship has got to be a huge deal. And then in verse 17, he says... Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In the NIV version, I'm reading from the ESV, but in the NIV, I actually like it a little bit better. It says, and I insist on this in the Lord. I insist on this, that, that we be people who actually are on this, this deal, this trajectory, this this purpose in life, not that we're perfect. I mean, we are, we, are, we are a beautiful mess, but that we just insist, like I just insist that it's, that it's my responsibility to, to help myself grow in Christ, and it's my responsibility, not the children's church team, to, to disciple and lead and, and pour out the love of Christ into my four children and my wife. It's just, it's my, I just insist personally that this is going to be my personal trajectory and then if a bunch of people sort of get that and we just have this this grassroots passion that we are just men who care about loving their wives biblically and we are young people who care about walking in integrity in relationships and we are a group collectively that just cares about how young people grow in the Lord and we just care about generational ministry Psalm 145 one generation shall praise your work to another and we just care about our own personal growth and our church growth and we just got a bunch of men and women asking the same question like how do we do this man not just saying okay well Sunday 
dance, monkey, dance. And we just, we just all, and the deal is, is we never insist in church circles because when I roll out something like I just did a second ago, and then I say, we, I insist that we do this, people get uncomfortable, and then they look for other churches. But, but that's what we got to do. I just, I just insist. I insist that this is like our deal, not my deal. That we just say we've got to grow for the glory of Christ because there's something bigger going on here than just Sunday morning church attendance. There's a group of people that got to grow together and reflect God's gracious love to a world. They live just imperfect, messed up lives where they fight, they argue, and where they work out sin in their lives and they're real about it. And they do this for the sake of discipleship, for the sake of the mission. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words that we have read today. And the fact that you write in Romans through Paul that you have in fact for those of us that are Christians in here today, predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son. So in a sense, you have guaranteed our sanctification, but we know in this mysterious way that he, our responsibility is, is just absolutely huge in the Scriptures. That is, you save us, but then you call us to work with you in this life of growing together in Christ, not just for ourselves, but so that we collectively would reflect your glory to a lost world. And but I, I just, I feel like I don't know how to articulate it well, but God, would you lift our eyes above self-centered, consumer-driven Christianity? And would you help us in its imperfection would you give us a passion to commit to doing discipleship and growth as a body so that collectively together in our imperfectiveness we can do something much bigger than just lead successful happy lives, but together we can become this, as Paul writes in Second Corinthians, this aroma of Christ to a lost world. God, would we do that? Can we do that? Just do what words cannot do and would you by your Holy Spirit infuse with passion a young husband in here today who just needs a fire lit underneath him so that he will, that he would just insist that he's going to take the awkward, difficult, hard steps to being the man that God has called him to be and he's not going to wait on somebody to hold his hand through it. And then, God, collectively, would you give us wisdom as church leaders to just do whatever it takes to live out these scriptures because they are paramount. They're so important. They're just so much rides on whether or not we will be a church that lives this way for our place. God, we don't need another church in Columbus where people just kind of go and leave and go and leave. God, we don't need that. But we need an Ephesians 4 type of church that just 
insist that we all grow in the unity of the faith and the maturity of manhood and womanhood in Christ. We just desperately need that. And so would you burn that in our hearts? Would you burn that in our hearts? God, as, uh, as we prepare to worship you now, if there's somebody in here, I'm just opening this up to you. If you, um, if you just sort of instinctively realize that you're not where you need to be with Christ, and we would love to pray with you. There's going to be some folks down here, kind of to your left, my right, down at the bottom. We'd love to pray with you. If you just know that God is right now, he's just wooing you, whatever it is. And he's just kind of saying, you got you to talk to somebody right now. It's just become apparent that I am not where I am. Maybe you don't, maybe it's become clear to you that you don't truly know Christ today and you need to talk to somebody. I'd love to do that. You may be able to handle that in your own seat and you may know you've just got to turn back to him. You, you can do that now. We're going to spend a few minutes responding to God. If you want to receive communion, that is open. And if you want to just sit in your chair with your, just your face in your hands and say, God, burn a passion in me for growth for the sake of the mission, not just personal growth, but growth for the sake of the kingdom, then and just do that. And if you want to, as the guys are leading us in some worship, stand up, lift up your hands and worship, that's fine too. Look, we don't prescribe a way, but we just want you to respond to God today. If you want to be left alone, you, nobody's going to come jump on you and, you know, force your way. But if you want somebody to pray with you specifically, come on up and grab one of us and down here on the front left and we'll pray with you. But um, let's, let's go hard. Let's, let's go hard after God in these next few minutes. And Lord, now I pray that as we sing, it wouldn't be just notes and words and lyrics or just little pieces of bread or cups of juice, but that it would truly be a response to you and that, God, you would press hard on us with your Holy Spirit and that we would be a group of people who just insist that we live like this as a church. And I pray it in Jesus' name.